What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the TJ and JC show. We're here for show number 13. My name's TJ. I am here as always with my co-host JC. We're back for another show. JC, what's up, man? Good day, everybody. Happy to be here as always. We're going to break from our routine we've been doing the last few weeks where we do two shows a week, one NFL, one everything else. We're going to just kind of wrap it all up, try to do it quickly here. Rather than recap games that stood out to us for the NFL, it looks like COVID's going to derail this season at some point. We talked about how the struggles of not being in a bubble would probably lead to an instance like this where players are testing positive. And yeah, let's just jump right into that. That's obviously the most important headline. And also the Chiefs and Patriots have players with COVID and their game is postponed. Let's start with the Titans and Steelers because that's the first one that popped up and got derailed. Yeah, JC, man, the scary thing about this Titans outbreak is... We don't know the source, obviously, and it just really hasn't stopped. A few weeks back, I, th- I think it was prior to week two, uh, the Atlanta Falcons rookie cornerback A.J. Terrell tested positive for the coronavirus and was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. And there seemed to be some hope there because it, it seemed to just kind of be a one-off and the outbreak didn't spread to any of the Falcons and everything was fine. And I think people in Atlanta and certainly fans all over the league thought that, you know, if this is how it's going to be, that's all things considered, not that bad. Uh, the Titans, unfortunately, have shown the complete opposite end of the spectrum. It is unfortunately been verified now as, as a full-blown, complete outbreak in Tennessee. They had multiple staffers and multiple players uh, test positive again as of this morning. Uh, Just for reference, for those of you listening, we're recording this on Saturday, October 3rd. And unfortunately, the positive tests, both on the roster and in the uh, front office side of the organization, just keep coming one after another. So it's a scary situation. It's going to affect scheduling, as we've seen. As you mentioned, separate incident, but Cam Newton and the New England Patriots are also affected by COVID-19. So with COVID right now, it's... It's a scary time, obviously, but it seems even heightened with everything that's been going on. What's really crazy is the Titans just played the Vikings last week and won. The Vikings are still winless. The Titans are undefeated. And let's not forget, they were in the AFC Championship last year. They were a game away from the Super Bowl. So, I mean, who knows who has it yet? They haven't placed anybody on the COVID reserve list, which is surprising because Cam Newton was immediately put on it as soon as they found out. So they haven't announced who has it yet. It could be, for all we know, it could be Derrick Henry... Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown, like the three most important players on offense. And what's worse is now these two playoff caliber teams, I mean, the Steelers just barely missed the playoffs last year without their quarterback. They look like a playoff caliber team this year. And now they have to, no team was supposed to have a bye week this week. It's not like the Steelers and Titans are now in addition to some other teams that are on a bye week. No one has a bye week this early. So they have to go the rest of the regular season without a bye week. And then presumably playoffs as well if they're healthy enough to get there. And that's a lot of football to play continuously. I think bye weeks, they probably started next week or week six is when bye weeks would normally begin. But right now it's a 15-game week. The only game not being played is the Titans and the Steelers as it was scheduled to on Sunday. Yeah, and moving over here to the uh, Patriots and Kansas City Chiefs, it sounds like they may be able to play by Monday, maybe Tuesday at the latest. The crazy part about this to me, though, is when the news initially broke, there was some speculation uh, on ESPN that they may possibly have to tack on some weeks here to the end of the regular season, as in like a week 18, possibly a week 19. 
in order to fit in some of these games. And the unique situation here with the Patriots and Chiefs as it pertains to this is we know the Chiefs are going to be in the playoffs. That's as good of a lock as there will ever be at this point. The Patriots, I mean, they looked on trajectory to make the playoffs. They looked to be just like the Patriots of old, even without Tom Brady. These are possibly two playoff teams that we're talking about playing a regular season game on, say, January 7th, January 8th, January the weekend of January 10th, possibly. We're talking late, late into the season, which is typically playoff time. You never want to see a, a roster or anybody, for that matter, uh, contract this horrible virus. But it would just be, I think, a completely different scenario if it was two teams who were seemingly out of the playoff race. Who knows, maybe those games wouldn't even be made up. Uh, as in baseball, some of the teams didn't get to play their full amount of games due to COVID. So it's just, that would be something crazy to watch for. Uh, we've said it from the beginning, these are unprecedented times, but it's just hard to imagine the Patriots and Chiefs making up a game in January and then moving right into meaningful football in the playoffs. I just, I, I almost can't even imagine that. What's crazy about that is like you try to reward the number, I think it's now the bye week only goes to the number one seed, right? With the additional playoff team added. So you're supposed to reward the number one seed with a bye week, but now you might it might be a detriment if you add on these extra weeks at the end and then they get like a two-week bye unintentionally, obviously, because of maybe having to just reschedule all these games that need to happen later in the season. But then it's like two weeks off and you always hear, I mean, that's what you get for the Super Bowl, but you always kind of hear like, Maybe some teams would have been better off without the bye week and just stay in their groove, keep the rhythm going that they have, the momentum. So yeah, it's it's I, we can't even predict. I mean, the game is the Titans and Steelers game is rescheduled. Who knows if it actually happens when it's supposed to? But yeah, they got a lot of football to play the rest of the season now. Talking about how the Titans were undefeated in a playoff team, but they presumably got COVID after the Vikings game because no Vikings player or staff member has tested positive. And they've seen Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network say that even though they were blocking and tackling each other, they weren't really doing COVID-concerning contact. So, I mean, if that's not COVID-concerning contact, I mean, what do they do to get it? And if they didn't have it beforehand, how did, how did they not spread it to the Vikings? So the Vikings are playing their game as scheduled week four. The Titans are not with multiple players having COVID. And yeah, we can... We can speculate the unpredictability of this season and where it goes from here, but another thing that's happening with COVID and dropping players, like if the the Patriots do go forward with this game on Tuesday, they're going forward without Cam Newton. So then you got, as a Patriots fan, I mean, not, we're not Patriots fans, obviously, but it's going to be frustrating for Patriots fans. It's like, fuck, like this could have been a game we could have been more competitive in or possibly even won, but with Brian Hoyer against the Chiefs, good fucking luck. So that changes the seating and everything and... The other thing that's been going on speculatively, because there's no preseason and training camps, but tons of injuries all across this, the league. We just watched Thursday Night Football with the Broncos going with like their third-string quarterback, and it was surprisingly entertaining. I just I hope it stays entertaining. I hope we don't get to a point to where it's like you got the college football teams playing NFL games because people have COVID, people are injured because they didn't get a training camp due to COVID-related reasons. It's I just I hope it's I hope the season remains fun to watch. It, it has been good. The game, game's been pretty good so far. So like I said, th surprisingly Thursday night we had two winless teams playing each other. We're already into week four, which because we're recording so late. Oh yeah, but since we're doing this condensed episode and recording so late, you want to get into the schedule and what you're doing, TJ? Yeah, one thing on COVID, and then I, I do have some personal announcements I'm going to share, but just to uh, sort of put a pin in this, this COVID topic, it's interesting to me because when you look back, 
first of all, the past seven months have felt like a year or two, in my opinion. And when you look back towards the beginning of all this, there was a point where as a society, I feel like we were just happy to have sports back. And not that we don't feel that way now, but I, I think when you see a team like in baseball, the Cardinals and the Marlins just decimated by the coronavirus. The A's had it. Luckily, they were able to bounce back. Now Tennessee's the first example in the NFL. I think you just wonder, as you said, how, how does it affect the competitive balance of the game? But I think it also brings into context how minuscule sports are in the scheme of life and with this deadly virus. And so it just, you know, you see every day now more, more reports out of Tennessee and yes, you you know, all indications are that those people are okay and in time they will recover, but it's hard not to look around and just go, you know, sh- just shut them down for a month. Just just give them a month to to get back and to be okay. So, yeah, man, we we hope for the best uh for those affected by it, obviously. But yeah, as you said, I, I appreciate that that segue into the introduction here. You know, we we did last week, we did two episodes back to back. That was a great week for us and uh we had a lot of time ample amount of time to do this. Uh, as you said, we've had some changes in our work schedules here. Quick announcement that I want to plug because it will lead to some extra content for the show here. Uh, I have accepted really two writing positions, two freelance writing positions, uh, one with a website called nflanalysis.net and another uh, within the same network called nbaanalysis.net. And so in those two positions, I'm doing a lot of news desk writing, anything along the lines of uh, transactional news, transactional rumors, things where in the NBA hypothetical trades come up in the media all the time. I might write a reaction piece to that. Uh, This past week I did a lot of uh, bold predictions in the NFL, making final score predictions, things like that. And as we've seen, you know, things don't always go according to plan. One of the pieces I did was bold predictions for the New England Patriots A lot of that was centered around Cam Newton in that article that I wrote. Of course, unfortunately, now Cam Newton uh, is affected by the coronavirus, as we said. So in sports, but really in life, things don't always go according to plan. But yeah, man, I just want to throw that in there because, uh, you know, obviously stories that I write on there have to remain exclusive to that outlet in all fairness. But I will dive into some topics um, that are particularly notable here on the show. So I'm excited about it. And I think it's going to be great for the show here because as always, you know, with not just our show, but any podcast, the more content you have, the better. So I'm excited to bring uh, some insight to our listeners. And of course, I've spoken in the past, but I love writing. I love being in the media. So um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. As JC said, though, probably one show a week going forward. We both do have work schedules now that you know, life gets in the way sometimes. But as always, I feel confident speaking for both of us here. We're extremely committed to this show and anything we can do to bring you guys the content, uh, we're willing to do it. So yeah, man, stick with us. We're excited, but we got a lot more stuff to get to here today. Yeah, let's continue our NFL analysis. Uh, The first note I have is kind of going into this injury thing. Ron Rivera made some interesting quotes this week. They lost to the Browns in week three by two touchdowns. Ron Rivera held on to some timeouts late in the game, and he was asked about it, like, why didn't you use those timeouts? And he was basically said, like, I'm just trying to get my guys out of here healthy. He's like, I'm not, rather than go for the comeback, he's like, I'd rather just get out, get out of the game healthy. So rather than stop the clock, he left, let it run as the other team was just trying to run the clock. He just seeded. And that kind of 
I kind of get it, but at the same time, as a coach, you shouldn't say it. But yeah, in, in this, I mean, as you're seeing injuries pile up across all teams, I get it. I definitely get what he's saying, but he shouldn't have said it. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about it? Yeah, man, I'm with you. And uh, it kind of goes back to what I said in our last show when the New York Jets owner came out and said, I, I don't have a playoff mandate for this team. I get it. But I again, I don't see the value in saying it. And, you know, there's a saying in sports that the final score doesn't always tell the whole story of a game. When you lose 34-20 to 20, uh, to Cleveland, no less. No offense, Cleveland. By the way, shout out to the Browns. Winning record for the first time in six years. We'll That's see nice. how long that stands. But yeah, man, Dwayne Haskins, three interceptions. Just just an ugly performance from Washington. You know, I mean, Washington has has a lot of work to do. And that's a bad division. Obviously, the Giants are in play for the number one pick. The Eagles are coming off of a tie, and the Eagles lead the league in turnovers. I mean, so, you know, if you're Washington, you're not out of it. I mean, obviously, Dallas is going to get all the attention in the division. But, yeah, man, Washington, they got to get on the right track here. And speaking of Rivera, you know, he has been pretty adamant about sticking with Dwayne Haskins here. But Haskins performed so poorly against Cleveland that Rivera even had to come out after the game and concede, like, hey, man, you know, I, we won't be able to stick with this guy forever if this is the type of play we're going to get. So, yeah, man, Washington, as always, is, is a team to keep an eye on just because until they get on track, they're going to have to keep making adjustments, I think. I didn't think I was going to be able to tie this into this, but it's something I thought of. We never really talk about boxing, but did you see Deontay Wilder is separating from the guy who threw in the towel in his last fight? And it's kind of like that. It's like people are so like against quitting and that kind of thinking. But I like like I said, I, I get what Ron Rivera is saying. He's like we're gonna we're gonna live to fight another day. We're getting out of here. Like you guys didn't you guys didn't show up. This is your fucking fault. <laughs> like you guys didn't play. You threw three interceptions. You fucking didn't get the first down. You dropped the ball. Now we're here. It's the late in the game. We're down two touchdowns. We're going home. And it's just, yeah, I think, I don't know, I don't think he should have said it still, but I definitely understand it. And, I, and then that Don, Deontay Wilder fight, it's like, hey, we're not, getting, we're not getting any more hurt today. We're going home. Like, you didn't show up. This is your fault. Yeah, man, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm a, a huge boxing fan. More For me personally, I like boxing more than UFC. I grew up watching boxing my whole life. And Deontay Wilder is a very, uh, he's about his image, and he's about perception, and he, he cares Regardless of what he says, he cares what people think about him. And that was a bad loss that Deontay Wilder endured, absolutely. But a trainer's job is to get you out of that ring and home to your family at the end of the night. That's my belief. Granted, I've never stepped in a boxing ring, but Deontay Wilder was struggling that night. And we all remember how, you know, it, it was he had, he had blood out of his ear and it, it just it wasn't a, a good performance from him. And as you said, a trainer gets to a point where at some point, I got to step in. You've had your chance through five, six, seven rounds. You had your chance. Now it's on me to come in and clean up the mess and make sure we live to fight another day. And so I, I didn't like that move by Deontay Wilder uh, for me personally, but I'm not surprised by it. He seems like the kind of guy that would make like a knee-jerk reaction like that. So yeah, I, I feel unfortunate for his trainer because... He was just trying to do what's best for his fighter. And I was thinking just as you were talking, like, why? I wish the NFL would give coaches like a white flag to throw in. It's just like, hey, we're not showing up. And it, it occurred to me immediately why they can't do that. It's because the ad space, they need to run the ads. The game needs to go on. 
So this pretty much is Ron Rivera's only way out. It's just like I'm not fucking calling timeouts. We're not we're not playing. We're not going for the comeback. We're not gonna throw the ball down deep and hope hope for a hail mary and hopefully no one breaks their ankle on the way down. So yeah, I, I get why the NFL doesn't allow coaches to quit, but I I guess I keep saying he shouldn't have said it, but I kind of do commend him for saying it. It's sort of just like sort of like like I said, like you guys didn't show up. I didn't show up as a coach. I didn't put you guys in the best position. And you guys didn't execute the game plan on the next week. So they're not one of the winless teams. I did mark down all the winless teams because rather than like last week, we were going to go by the games that stood out to us. Let's just talk about these teams real quick and where do you think they're going? 0-3, one 0-4 team. As I said, we're recording late in the week. Thursday night football happened between the Broncos and Jets. They were both winless. The Jets remain winless. And Adam Gaze remains the coach. The Texans, 0-3. The Bengals, 0-2-1 with the Eagles. They were tied. I've seen this crazy thing that, like, obviously ties don't happen very often. But, like, out of the last five ties, the Bengals and Eagles are, like, three of them or something. It, or, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense how these two teams always tie each other. But, yeah, so those teams are winless uh, but haven't technically lost all their games. The Giants, New York Giants, the Vikings, we talked about them. They're COVID-free and win-free as well. Falcons and New York Jets, 0-4. Any of these teams stand out to you? I mean, we've got to assume Dan Quinn's on his way out with the Falcons. I still think Mike Zimmer's a good coach. The Giants guy just got there. Pedersen has a Super Bowl ring, so you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Bengals guy just got there. Bill O'Brien might be on the way out. What stands out to you? Yeah, JC, for me, the most disappointing of these has to be the Atlanta Falcons. Another horrible loss, uh, this time at the hands of not Mitch Trubisky, but Nick Foles and the Chicago Bears. This is back-to-back horrible losses for Atlanta. First Dallas, and now Chicago. And I just don't know where the Falcons go from here. They look completely lost, and they look demoralized, and they should be, quite honestly. I'm not a Falcons fan, obviously, but I feel for their fans because... You know, it just it's it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. Yeah, I remember we were watching Red Zone and Scott Hansen was like, "We can't do this again, right, Falcons fans?" And we were just watching the lead deplete. I'm glad we got to talk about this Nick Foles thing at the same time because that was the other noteworthy thing from this week that stood out to me. Yeah, Nick Foles comes in, throws an interception. Looks like the Falcons are gonna hang on, and then he warms up. He gets going. It seems like they're gonna use him the right way. A lot of coaches, for some reason struggle with Nick Foles it seems like they're going to use him the right way uh this I, st- I still think uh Nagy's a good coach he's a good offensive mind and they I think they did the right thing they should have moved on from Trubisky earlier honestly uh, you probably should have just let him go in the offseason and brought in somebody else with Nick Foles I mean it was so funny they're cutting to the sideline it's just like this he looks like such a depressed little boy I feel I feel bad for him a little bit but yeah, his time's up as the quarterback there and yeah the Falcons it's unbelievable that they lost two double-digit leads in back-to-back weeks like that. Yeah, man, just what a horrible showing early on in the season from Atlanta. And then for me, you know, we talk about them almost every week, but uh, the New York Jets are just just a disappointment. And I, I feel bad for Sam Darnold. I really do because coming out of USC, uh, Sam Darnold really had all the tools that you look for in a young quarterback. We mentioned he's still just 23 years old, so... You know, he has, in theory, several years ahead of him where he could enter his prime, but I just don't see it with the Jets. And there was some uh, conflicting reports this past week. First, Chris Mortensen of ESPN came out and reported that the 
Jets were monitoring the situation with Gase very closely, perhaps with an eye towards uh, moving on, dismissing him and moving on. And then recently here, over the past few days before we got on the air, there's been another report uh, stating that Gase will remain in place for the entire season, uh, and he definitively he will not be fired. So weird situation, honestly. You don't hear that really that kind of vote of confidence from a struggling team. I mean, you can look around the league. There are coaches you can say with absolute certainty will not be fired. Bill Belichick will not be fired. Andy Reid, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, John Gruden in his $100 million contract. Those type of guys are not going anywhere, and it's obvious. I don't know if I would come out as the New York Jets and say, yeah, you know what, this guy who didn't get along with Jamal Adams and who has a questionable offensive game plan and who you know can't get our young quarterback on track, he's not going anywhere. He's going to stick around. Even if you're going to keep them, again, I just the messaging with the Jets confuses me. I almost wish they'd hire me and their PR staff because I really don't understand the messaging that this team is trying to promote for their fans. And it's confusing, it's contradictory. So, yeah, man, those are my thoughts on the Jets. 0-4, they need a victory in the worst way or they'll be in play for the number one pick. It makes me think of, like, last year when the Falcons said the same thing about Dan Quinn, who we were just talking about, who they really should just move on at this point. And they say, like, no, we're going to keep him through the season. We're not going to do any, like, knee-jerk reactions to a bad loss. We're going to keep Dan Quinn the rest of the year, and then he wins maybe three out of the last five games, kind of gets some momentum going, and you kind of trick yourself. It's like, uh, maybe we got some momentum going, see how it goes next year. Same thing with Jason Garrett. It's just like we're not firing Jason Garrett in season, and then they kind of squeeze into the playoffs, maybe do okay at the end of the year, and it's like, you know, I think he's figuring it out. And then going to start it next year off. Adam Gaze is going to win a few games at the end of the year going to go into it and he's going to be kicking field goals down 24 points so it's it's time to move on I think you definitely should just rip the band-aid off mid-season if you have to this would be another situation where Greg Williams probably goes back to an interim head coaching role like he did with the Browns interesting bringing him up because he what there was a lot of conversation about him after the week four loss the game is clearly out of reach they're not getting the ball back and uh, the Broncos aren't in a position to take knees yet so they kind of need to kill the clock by running a few plays and the Jets defenders slammed him down to the ground hard t- both times at the end of the game. And then Vic Fangio runs his players off the grass right into the locker room, does no handshake with Adam Gaze. They've kind of, I've read some tweets that like they didn't like each other from their past experiences. But regardless, Vic Fangio, the only thing he said, he's like, I just didn't want a melee to break out. My players were pissed off that they were still hitting the quarterback when the game was clearly over. And then Steve Smith was very heated on NFL Network after the game talking a lot of shit about Greg Williams and that this is just the thing he always does. People might remember he was suspended an entire season, I believe, for the Bounty Gate in New Orleans when he was the coach there and won a Super Bowl with them. He was supposedly rewarding players for taking, like, take Brett Favre out of this playoff game. The player that does it gets, gets rewarded financially. So a guy that doesn't have the great reputation, known for having a pretty decent defense, an aggressive defense, obviously, we're not going to talk any more about the 0-3 teams. Any thoughts closing on the Jets? We spent all of our time talking about them for this segment. Yeah, just, um, you know, they, they got to get on track, but they, they're they so far from contention, and obviously we're not going to sit here and say they're a contender, but you really see it when they're uh, on a national stage on Thursday night, and, you know, they got no receiving core. They got poor Frank Gore, who they trot out there and hand the ball to 100 times. 
The sad part if you're the Jets is even if you remove Adam Gase, you know, they're almost like the 2013, 2014 Raiders, 2015 Raiders. You knew looking at them, you guys have so much work to do through the draft to not only get starters, but you need to infuse depth into this team. And the Jets are just so far off at, at a lot of key positions. So, yeah, man, they have a long way to go. Um, they'll, they'll obviously have a high pick in the 2021 draft. But, yeah, man, for the Jets, I, I can't say that help is on the way soon because I, I don't think it is. One last thing, and then we'll move on from the NFL. That's all the notes I had for it. I referenced the video game personality I like a lot on the show, Colin Moriarty. He's a huge New York fan, New York Islanders for the hockey and obviously Jets for football. And he says, this was during the Sunday game. I think they were playing the Colts that week. So this is their week three matchup. He's responding to the game going on at the time. He says, here's the thing about being a Jets fan, especially one that watches every game every year. I'm totally used to this. I don't really even get disappointed or upset anymore, especially in the Adam Gaze era. This is our way. This is Jets football. And that's just how it is. During the opening drive pick six, I just unflinchingly stared at the TV. See, I don't feel anything. So that's a <laughs> that's a living Jets fan. <laughs> yeah, man, that must be that must be difficult. I mean, <laughs> it's Jets fans find solace in the fact that the Giants are horrible too, and just hope they don't get the number one overall pick. <laughs> I wasn't sure where to take this, but I think this is a good place to take it. Uh, obviously, MLB isn't my place, but. Going on, my one quick note on another fan base that's suffering. The A's no longer have the one of the worst losing streaks playoff in their franchise history for the playoffs. The Minnesota Twins lost to the only MLB team to ever make the postseason with a losing record. Obviously, that was possible because it's a COVID-shortened season. But they get swept by a losing record team in the play- first round of the playoffs. And I think their losing streak in the playoffs extends to 18 seasons without or a series win in the playoffs. And so, yeah, feel bad for them. Any notes on them or just jump right into the A's and get relief? Yeah, man, I got to just, with all due respect to the other franchises, I've been waiting since 2006 to talk about this. Uh, So I got to just jump right into the A's here. The last time, first of all, before this three-game series against the White Sox, the last time the A's won a playoff game was 2013, seven years ago. And so they win game two, obviously. They lose game one. So you have to win two games in a row to save your season or we'll see you next year. So they win game two. And okay, that's their first playoff win in seven years. That's all well and fine and congratulations. You still haven't won a series since 2006. But it just shows. I mean, you know, it it sounds silly, but you can see with the Cubs and their long World Series drought. And of course, the Red Sox that we know about, their World Series drought that they eventually would snap. There's a weird sort of mystique around these teams where I believe it does get in your head and you do certainly feel the pressure of it. And, you know, the A's and their manager, Bob Melvin, he's a great manager. He's one manager of the year. He's probably a top five manager in the whole league. Still, no series wins his whole time that he's been here since 2011 until this past weekend. Huge relief for the players, huge relief for, for the manager, as I said, relief for the fans. It's just been crazy. And it's a relief and there's excitement, but it also feels kind of shocking. I, I can't even lie to you, man. It feels, I'm kind of surprised because you're just, it, it's for so many years, like the Raiders, I expected the Raiders to be bad. Jamarcus Russell, Rolanda McClain, you don't expect them to do well. 
And that's how I felt about the A's year after year getting swept in the playoffs and just with these wild card losses, everything that goes along with being eliminated from the playoffs and doing so quickly, you almost as a fan just become callous to it and you just kind of don't even expect them to win. So, wow, man, what a relief and uh, there's excitement. But, yeah, it's it, I'm pretty fired up, man, because there's a long way to go, obviously. Uh, they would have to win two more series just to reach the World Series. Yeah, man, I, as a fan right now, I'm fired up, man. Let's go. So the first round of the MLB playoffs wasn't in a bubble. Now they do enter a bubble. I believe they're going to Los Angeles to play the Houston Astros. Yeah, so speaking of uh, bubbles in Major League Baseball, I'm about to share some uh, pretty contradictory information here. Major League Baseball is in what they're calling a bubble. However, that being said, there are two of them. What's classified as one in Southern California, which is San Diego and Los Angeles, and then there are two in the state of Texas. In Texas, what they're calling a bubble will include fans in the stands. I'm sorry. You can't call it a bubble and then allow fans (laughs) who have not quarantined to come in and be part of the experience. I'm sorry. It's it's not a bubble. It's 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 a Texas playoff and a California playoff. You want to call it that? Fine. That's fine. But we've seen, you know, like I said, with Major League Soccer, we've seen with the NBA, we've seen with the NHL, what teams and, and leagues as a whole do to commit to these bubbles. And I think baseball is being disrespectful to those other leagues by calling this a bubble while simultaneously sort of making a mockery of what a bubble is by allowing fans to come in. So, yeah, that's my take on it. But, yeah, the A's, uh, as you said, will be down in Southern California for the next round. And then if they're fortunate enough to make it all the way to the World Series, which would be quite a just a magical run, honestly, then they would uh, make their way out to Texas for, for that eventually. And as I've said, like – MLB is out of my wheelhouse. We are entering that point where I do start to pay attention because this is the best of the best now. And the only thing that really catches my radar, I mean, we, we share the Twitter account and go through things, and the only thing that really stands out to me is Tatis Jr. We talked about him in the, one of the very first episodes of the show about unwritten rules and the things he was doing at the time. And I just, I really like this guy. He's he's entertaining. I think he's good for the sport. And as I'm rooting for the A's, i is the Padres, am I allowed to root for the Padres too? Are they in the same division? Yeah, no, you are. Uh, I formally give you permission to root <laughs> for the San Diego Padres. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, they're in separate divisions. Uh, the Padres are, they're both in the West, but the Padres are in the National League, A's in the American League. Uh, so just for some context here, the Padres are, as an example, like a rival of the Giants. Mm. But yeah, no, I've, I believe it was two years ago. I made a trip down to San Diego I went down there with my dad, and we visited the Padres Stadium for the first time. What just a what a remarkable facility that is! I I haven't been to all the stadiums, obviously, but just a beautiful ballpark down there. Amazing experience. Um, so just from that, it's funny how experiences in sports work. From that moment on, after I saw their stadium, I was like, man, I can root for you guys. I'm down <laughs> with this Padres. Let's go, man. So yeah. So of course, the reason he's in the news is because he's pissing people off again, and. Is the only thing he did that pissed people off with the bat flip, the forbidden bat flip he's like, you're not allowed to do to the old schoolers? Yeah, so uh, for those of you listening, if you haven't heard what uh, JC's referencing, I think it was like show number five, maybe like anywhere from like show five to seven, uh, we, we did a show on unwritten rules in baseball because Fernando Tatis Jr. 
uh, made some enemies in Texas when in a game against the Rangers when he pissed off uh, really their, their pitching staff and their manager. And ever since then, he's kind of been a polarizing figure within the sport. And so what JC is now referencing is just his really epic bat flip uh, in the playoffs against, I believe it was St. Louis. And um, it's a love it or hate it thing. And for me, I, I played baseball for like, what, like 14 years, I think. And I love it. I think it's awesome. I think it adds personality to the game. I think it adds passion to the game. I think it makes it, it raises the stakes is what it does. Because inherently, you know when you're doing that, yeah, this is going to piss the other side off. They're going to be upset about this. What does that do? That heightens the emotion on both sides. And in my opinion, that's good for the game. Mm -hmm. Baseball is not a contact sport. It doesn't have high-flying dunks. It doesn't have Steph Curry shooting threes. It doesn't have a a Mahomes or a Tyreek Hill. So you need, in my opinion, you need little things like this where somebody might flip on ESPN at the end of the night knowing nothing about the matchup and they might text it to one of their friends or, or you know, show them a, a clip on Twitter and go, oh man, did, did you see this? Did you see what happened? It's that kind of just a polarizing event when you see it. Because yeah, it is disrespectful. And I can, even though I enjoy it, I can acknowledge that. It is kind of showing up the other pitcher. But as I said in the episode on Unwritten Rules, if you don't like it, strike him out. Get him out if you don't like it. That's my opinion on that. Yeah, I like the guy a lot. It's, I'm going to be paying attention to the A's in the next round and definitely the Padres. Little known fact, as we wrap up the MLB, when I, I played like three seasons of t-ball when I was really young, and I always ended up on the Chicago White Sox. Or I don't know if it, they had the name, the Chicago, but it was always the White Sox. I had the White Sox outfit, three seasons as a White Sox between the ages of probably seven to ten. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah, you know, I... Uh... I wish you would have told me that before the show. I, we're on complete opposite sides of the battle here. You know, I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, man, that's that's awesome. I, I love to hear that. Uh, one thing I want to mention before we move on, you mentioned our Twitter account, and this isn't really in our show notes here, but I, I just I do want to bring this up because it sort of speaks to the power of Twitter and why I like having an, uh, an account for our show. After the Clippers moved on from Doc Rivers, I posted a poll on our Twitter account, uh, which if you're not following us, you should be because we post gold on there, people, and you're missing out on it. It's at SportsTJJC. That's the official Twitter of the TJ and JC show. Come get down with us on Twitter. I posted a poll, and I said, if it comes down to the Pelicans or the 76ers for Doc Rivers, what's more enticing? Zion, Brandon Ingram, and New Orleans, or Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and the Sixers. And voters have spoken. The poll was open for a full 24 hours, which I think is probably the max amount of time. I'm not sure. I I think it is. Um, So I tried to give people as much time as possible to chime in. Voters had spoken, and before Rivers was hired by Philadelphia, our voters by a margin of 53% to 47%, so it was close, said Philadelphia. So, hey man, if you're down with us on Twitter, you called this before it happened. So shout out to those of you that voted, man. I appreciate it. It makes the engagement part of social media a lot of fun. But yeah, man, keep an eye out for us on Twitter because I post polls like that, and of course we post news. 
JC is uh, posts a lot of gifts and stuff, and it's really, really hilarious stuff, man. So check us out on Twitter if you want to stay involved with the show in between episodes. So yeah, as you mentioned, Doc Rivers moves on going to the NBA, and we've got a little bit of news. The finals are set and have begun, and Doc Rivers is the other newsworthy headline to me. He moves on to the 76ers, him and the Clippers part ways. That's crazy. He had one season, one chance to get the Kawhi, Paul George thing perfect. I think he's been really good the entire time he's been there. He's been there since, shit, the Sterling owner leaving when the first playoff protest almost happened way back when. He had Blake Griffin on his team. It's been a long road. It's over, and a new one begins. Thoughts on that? I, I always like the guy, personally, when I hear him talk. Oh, yeah, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm a huge Doc Rivers fan, uh, both as a coach, but in my opinion, more important, uh, I'm a fan of him as a person because mm-hmm. everything that he's personally been through and to, it, you know, it's easy to forget. We live in such an uh, instant gratification type society now, but Doc Rivers had to guide that franchise through the really dark days of Donald Sterling, as we said. And, um, you know, to hold that team together as he did, I mean, to me, that's more important than winning a playoff series or winning a title. That was a tumultuous time. That franchise was in just a horribly dark uh, moment in, in history. And so, you know, he deserves all the credit in the world for that. And to me, that speaks to, regardless of the type of coach he is or what you think of his past playoff record or any of that, that speaks to the type of person he is. So, yeah, man, shout out to Doc Rivers. Speaking of Kawhi and uh, Paul George, I mentioned earlier in the show that I uh, I picked up a couple of uh, writing gigs in addition to hosting the show with JC. One of the stories I wrote on NBAanalysis.net was a hypothetical trade that could send Paul George to the Boston Celtics. There's been some speculation that perhaps Paul George isn't the best fit for this Clippers roster, and uh, Paul George, is worth noting, can be a free agent after next season. So the Clippers have one chance to get this right, or he could depart and go wherever he wants. So yeah, man, if anybody's interested in seeing a potential trade that could send Paul George out to Boston, go check it out, nbaanalysis.net. Uh, I threw in there a, a hypothetical that could be sent back to the Clippers. There's a comment section on there if you want to leave notes. Tell me how great it is or how horrible it is. Let me know, man. I'm uh, I'm open to feedback, as always. And the only other, other noteworthy thing in the NBA is the Heat eliminated the Celtics and have gone on to the Lakers in the championship. They're down 2 nothing. They've It has been competitive early in the first game. I think they were up for like a moment, and then they just went way down. And then the second game, I think it was closer, but... I don't know if they really held a lead at much of the game. I didn't catch the second game. I caught most of the first one. But yeah, Heat are down 2-0 to LeBron James and the Lakers. Yeah, we've said in the past how uh, you and I both are fans of Jimmy Butler and just really just what the Heat are doing as a whole. And uh, that stands true today, obviously. But I think it speaks volumes about the operation that the Lakers run. And yes, they have LeBron James. And yes, they have Anthony Davis. And so from... Just a uh, star power standpoint, uh, the Lakers are in a better position than the Heat, unfortunately, for Miami. Yeah, I just I would like to use this segment to just heap more praise on LeBron James. You know, the Heat have looked spectacular up until now. And, you know, unfortunately for Miami, you're down 2 nothing, And I don't think that LeBron is going to let this lead slip away. I think... He knows, obviously, that they have to capitalize on it. 
you can't go, you know, two from two zero to two one, and then let them tie the series at two two. So, I look for LeBron and company to uh, to try to close out over the next couple games. It's unfortunate for Miami, but sometimes that's life. You just run into a better team. The other part of this that's crazy. We've talked about this over the past few shows. They've been in the bubble since late July, and we're in October now. So, regardless of the result and who wins and who loses. I'll be happy for them personally when they get to leave that bubble because, man, shout out to not just the players, but again, the coaching staffs, the training staff, support staff, everybody on hand there that's making that possible because I can't even imagine. I mean, just the the commitment that it takes to live on that campus. Yes, it's five-star accommodations and they have the best of the best as far as on the Disney campus, but regardless, man, they, you know, they haven't seen their homes in months. And so I, I, on a personal level, I feel for all those guys. I definitely want to talk more about Anthony Davis and LeBron, but we got two to five more games left in this series, so we'll, we'll jump into it next week. Let's move on to the other bubble that has concluded. The NHL playoffs are over. The Tampa Bay Lightning are Stanley Cup champions. They defeat the Dallas Stars in five. This is an awesome story. I mean, some people are going to say that this team deserves an asterisk, and we'll say the same thing when the Lakers or Heat are champions as well. I don't think this no asterisk comes with these wins and losses, or I guess especially the championship is the only thing it could really go to. And I definitely don't think the Tampa Bay Lightning have one next to their name in this 2020 championship year. As much as they didn't have to go on the road and do road games, the no home team advantage was there for any team. All these guys had to live in a bubble for 60 plus days, living in hotels, not seeing their families. They did what they had to do. Dallas almost did enough to end up in champions. A lot to be proud of. Their first season with Joe Pavelski as captain, coming over from the Sharks, and they make the finals. I really hope Pavelski ends his career with one. If the Sharks aren't in it next year, I'd like to see them in it. The Lightning, this is a team that's kind of finally turned the corner. They've been deep in the playoffs for the last six years. Last year was really disappointing. They were big favorites in round one. They get knocked out in round one, and they come back this year and win it all. They finally did it. They have a championship to their name. Other noteworthy thing about this bubble is there were zero positive tests the entire time in the bubble. So we're talking about a fake NBA bubble with fans. Those MLB players better not interact with the fans. No pictures, no signing shit. They've got to treat that as much like a bubble as possible. The fans just pretend like they're not there. But in the NHL bubble, there really were no fans. There was only teams and personnel and staff. And they got through it. They got. It's a crazy world like we talked about. We still don't understand so much about the disease. Like we talked about the Titans possibly having it on the field with the Vikings and giving it to nobody. And now we got two NFL teams getting games rescheduled. And we're currently recording a few days after the President of the United States was announced having it. Like, So yeah, it's crazy that the NHL, with numerous teams living inside of a bubble... Zero positive tests, and it's just how it got in the White House. I mean, we're not going to get political or anything like that. It's just, it's a crazy disease. It's so, it's so bizarre. So congratulations to the NHL on getting through this and keeping everyone safe, all their players, and now everyone goes back home to their families and hopefully stays safe. Congratulations, obviously, to the Tampa Bay Lightning on a championship. And yeah, just an extraordinary accomplishment. And it looks like the NBA is about to c- conclude it as well. With I mean, they weren't playing around. They kicked one guy out of the bubble because he broke protocol. So it's going to be interesting to see when we get to the NFL bubble. I mean, they're going to have to do one at some point. I mean, it's too early in the season to do one now, but you got to imagine there's going to be an NFL bubble for the playoffs. MLB has got to tighten it up when it reduces to the next round probably. But, yeah, any thoughts on the NHL or 
Yeah, as you said, I think uh, it, it's to the NHL's credit that they were able to pull this off, uh, much like the NBA has thus far. And the NFL, uh, it's going to sound dramatic what I'm about to say, but I, I mean every word of it. If the NFL wants to save their season, they need to get into a bubble as soon as possible because this is one huge outbreak on Tennessee. Imagine if it's two teams, three teams, four teams. They can say in, in, that it's manageable and that everything's okay. And, oh, yeah, one time, you know, Tennessee, will be, they'll be back. They'll be back, and that's great. But what if we reach a point where it's no longer manageable? So I understand the aversion to the bubble that, oh, you're away from your team. Everything I just said about the NBA and, and all the sacrifices they've had to make. But, again, we're living in the midst of a global pandemic. You can defeat the virus by social distancing and avoiding large gatherings and wearing a mask and doing the things that healthcare professionals and scientists say to do. Or, you know, you can do, for example, what we've seen the Raiders do, which I love the event that Darren Waller was trying to put on. I don't like the execution of it, where you're around with no masks on and, and great, great cause. I support it 1,000%. The execution of it was poor. And the Raiders have rightfully, uh, you know, been criticized for it. The one sport that has adapted to this probably the best, I guess, is the UFC. Last sport to get to. I was going to get into this Conor McGregor stuff. He's in the news. Before the UFC 253, I think the week of, before the fights happened, I believe Conor or Dana was talking about how they're planning to do a boxing Pacquiao match. Oh, Conor tweeted it. Okay, so Conor tweeted it. Dana White played dumb. And then Conor... Connor and Dana have been going at it in the social media publicly. Connor's like sharing screenshots of private messages and shit. Connor's really pissed off at Dana White. I don't want to get into what's actually going to happen. I mean, Connor always, he does a lot of talking. And when he fights, he fights. But it's when and if it happens. And the thing about uh, a Connor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather was very similar in boxing. There are guys who, whether they're right or whether they're wrong, they think they're bigger than the sport itself, and they become sort of their own PR machine. And I feel like Connor McGregor has reached that point of his career where, you know, we've, you and I off air have talked uh, privately about Manny Pacquiao and some of his motives, and I believe he's in his possibly early 40s now, why he still continues to uh, to put his personal health at risk. And so, you know, I, I think, and this is coming from somebody who watched Manny Pacquiao. I grew up watching Manny Pacquiao from the early 2000s all the way into the 2010s. And I just don't, you know, a Connor versus Manny Pacquiao. What does Manny Pacquiao have to prove at this point? I just don't see it. I honestly probably wouldn't even watch it. It's more of a spectacle than anything else. And I understand it. I mean, we're coming up on a, a Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. fight. Speaking of a spectacle. So I get it. But it just... This has been quite a year, man. Some of these stories, you just... You, you look... You can't help but laugh. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll be shocked if the Conor Pacquiao boxing match actually happens. I'll, I think... Some of the speculation was a lot of the money Pacquiao would use because he's in government in the Philippines now. He would use it to help support some of the problems having with COVID, probably all the overrun hospitals and shit. Who knows how he would use it? But he wants to use it in a good way, so good for him for trying to do that. I don't think the boxing match happens, so again, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. 
you've said it perfectly. Connor thinks he's bigger than the sport in the UFC now at this point. Before his Cowboy Cerrone fight, I think he signed a new UFC contract for something like eight to ten fights. Something obviously he would never complete. Like more fights than he's gonna do. Like it, and it was the UFC's way of saying like you're never gonna go anywhere unless you fight ten more times. He's not gonna outfight his contract with the UFC. And now he's talking about doing a charity event in Dublin with Dustin Poirier. Open weight, no weigh-ins. Poirier's agreed. Dana White has countered by saying, I'm offering both of you a UFC fight in January. And Connor immediately posts McGregor Sports Productions, the poster of him in Poirier, Ireland, December 12th, the same day as a UFC pay-per-view. So obviously Dana is not going to want Connor throwing his own event the day of a UFC pay-per-view. And that's how pissed off Connor is at this point, that he's promoting some probably make-believe event that won't happen. What's going to be interesting to see how far the UFC is willing to go to sue Connor, because this is he's not allowed to do this with his contract. And Connor might have enough money and be pissed off enough to say fuck it, but Poirier lives in Florida. I mean, this is his career is in the UFC, so Poirier probably won't fuck around and do some exhibition fight outside of his UFC contract. Of the two, he definitely has more to lose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Connor can stay in Ireland and say good luck extraditing me or taking me to court out here for a U.S. contract or who knows what it's like out there. I mean, he might, he really might be able to do it, but Poirier, if he wants to live in Florida and continue fighting in the UFC, he cannot do this fight. So we'll see what happens. I don't want to waste too much more time on that. The one thing that did happen and is in the books, we'll talk about the co-main and main event. I made picks, so just quickly going down the card, I picked Hakeem Dawadu, the guy that made weight. He did win. That was a good fight. One thing I learned is at the end of the third round, uh, his opponent, Zabir Tuhugov, was running around. Like, he didn't want to fight him. He was just avoiding the fight. And just. Uh, and then Hakeem was like, come on, stop running. Fucking fight. Stop running. Fucking fight me. And the ref's <laughs> like, Hakeem, watch your language. And it's like, we're in a fist fight, dude. What the fuck? And I learned that it's actually in the rules. To You're supposed to, at, your, at the ref's discretion, control the language being used in the fight. So he did not like the F word. I picked Caitlin Vieira over Sierra Jara Eubanks. She won the decision. I picked Kai Kara France over Brandon Royval. Both these guys look like flyweight contenders. I got the pick wrong, though. Brandon Royval got the guillotine in round two. Both guys got fight of the night. This is a division that Dana White wanted to get rid of once upon a time. And both these guys get $50,000 more for fight of the night. And then the main and the co-main. You, did you, watch, you watched the highlights with me, right, TJ? We both caught the card afterwards. This is one of those cards that I usually don't go back and watch like entire fight cards, but I've watched a lot of these fights multiple times since they happened. I didn't get to watch them live because I was working. But yeah, co-main event and main event. So yeah, man, we had uh, in the co-main here, we had Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahowitz. What did you think of this one, JC? This one's really interesting. So I watched this fight over because I wanted, I also noted down something interesting from the fight. So yeah, for, round one was pretty close. It looked like Jan Blahowitz won. He's a Polish, so his last name is going to be a struggle for us. Bear with us. I apologize, Jan. You're, you're a savage. He's been in the UFC. He started his UFC career with a 2-4 and four record. More losses than wins, and they keep him around. I'll, sometimes they don't keep around fighters with that record. It's in a division that's not very deep. They keep him around, and 38 years young, here he is. He's the champion. So round two, I noted this down from... Okay, so round one, he's landing this body kick that turns into a brutal injury, it looks like. So around two minutes and 30 seconds, halfway through round one, the ribs are red. With a minute and 20 seconds left in round one, it's a horrible wound. It looks like his ribs are probably broken. It's, a, it's bruised, welted, black, red. It's, it's a bad injury on the ribs. So he goes into round two with that injury. He almost gets out of round two. Dominic Reyes is the loser of this fight. Jan Blahowicz is the champion. So I'm noting 
Dominic Reyes' injuries as this fight progresses. So 58 seconds left in the fight. He's almost going to get out of rounds two. Maybe turn things around in round three. Who knows? He has the rib injury. At 58 seconds of the match, a combination, a flurry is thrown by Jan Blahowicz that breaks Dominic Reyes' nose. So now the injuries are mounting, ribs, broken nose. 29 seconds left, Jan Blahowicz lands the left hand that is the beginning of the end. Dominic does the whole wobbly thing. His knees are not stable. His legs aren't stable. He falls down. His nose is broken. His ribs are probably broken. 24 seconds left in the fight. It's over. Jan Blahowicz is the champion. So just, I wanted to note that down, just how quickly things can change in the fight. I mean, he was a minute away from getting out of the fight, and then 30 seconds later, it's, it's over. He's taken too much damage. His nose is broken. The injuries have mounted. It's too much pain. The adrenaline isn't going to save him. Not, it's, it's just, Jan was, looked perfect that night. He's 38. He's in a division that now is John Jones free. Interesting to see where he goes. Uh, you have any thoughts on the fight? He's, that Polish power, man. He's a Poland, Poland second champion behind Yaliwana. Jan Jacek was the first Polish champion. He is now the second. He got a warm welcome at the airport. It's cool to see. I like these stories. Oh, definitely, man. I agree. And, uh, yeah, no, just, I think, just to echo what you said, it just proves how vicious combat sports are and just really in the blink of an eye, man. I mean, momentum in combat sports really doesn't mean much. You hear momentum in basketball, momentum in football mentioned, it's very common as, uh, you know, as you judge a matchup as it's happening. But I mean, when you're talking about kicks to the ribs and knees to the ribs, you know, punch to the face, obviously, punch to the side of the head, that's a whole different ball game. And so, yeah, man, it just, for me, it just really confirmed how quickly things can change. And I mean, a credit to, to those guys and to anybody who's willing uh, to put their health on the line by stepping into a into a boxing ring or into an octagon because just vicious and just imagine the aftermath of that. Like I try not to think of that in the moment, but you know, like just the path to recovery, the path to getting ready now for the next fight eventually in time. It's just crazy. It's a credit to them that they can do it, but at the same time, it's crazy how far they're able to to push their bodies. We're recording this exactly a week after the fight, a few hours from when he took all this damage, exactly seven days to the mark, and I guarantee he's laying in bed right now feeling like shit. I mean, he's not only did he not win the championship, but his body is went through a car wreck, basically. So yeah, congratulations to Jan. I'm interested to see where this division goes. It's it's definitely... we got to see if John Jones wants to come back down. He probably thinks he can beat Jan. Jan wants that fight. To be determined... All right, JC, so moving on now for the main event of this card, we had Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. I did not see this fight. Uh, I caught some highlights, though, but I know you have a full rundown of this one. So what would you think of the main event of this card? So this one was really crazy because this was probably one of the fights that everyone thought could be like a fight of the year contender. Paulo Costa is one of those big, strong guys that just walks your, his opponent down, wears them down, just takes a punch to takes two to three punches sometimes just to give one fucking heavy one that ends the fight i've heard a lot of talk and a lot of speculation about what it was that threw him out of his game plan i mean you, you go into a fight with a game plan like i think mike tyson said until you get punched in the face and then it might have been one of those things i mean he didn't get punched in the face but he was just very tentative wasn't moving forward like he would normally move forward and then before you know it is he's chewing up his leg with leg kicks inside outside and then it's just it, it was interesting because he must have anticipated this i wonder if he thought this would help but you know that cupping thing people do when they have those like cup marks on their back because they put like the hot cup against it and it sucks the muscle out, kind of like a reverse deep tissue massage? 
Yeah, that's like what Michael Phelps does. I, I've seen, yeah, that looks crazy when people do that. I want to try it one day, but he did it in a spot you usually won't see it. It was all over his calves, so I don't know if you thought that could save him from some of the damage, but immediately Izzy takes out his lead leg in the first round. You give round one to Izzy because of all the leg kicks. I don't think Post Costa hit him at all in round one. Maybe he landed a leg kick back and it, as like a response to one of Izzy's. Uh, Israel Adesanya Izzy, that's what he goes by. Um, and round two, it just it wasn't competitive. Paulo Costa never came forward, never went for it. And it's you kind of think back to Izzy's last fight, that Yo Romero fight. Yo Romero probably knows this. Like you can't come forward on Izzy because he's such a dangerous counter striker. He move his movement is too perfect. He's too quick, too 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 amazing at everything. His technique. So you get a fight like the one we had earlier in the year with Yo Romero, where Yo won't come forward because he doesn't want to get countered, and Izzy is going to just be smart. He's like, I'm not going to come forward either. I'm just going to kick your legs. So he basically won the fight on a leg kick decision. And then you think of like the fight where Israel Adesanya won the belt against Robert Whitaker. He came into it as the interim champion, and Whitaker probably thought the same thing. Just like, he's a counter puncher. My best shot maybe is to just flurry him fast and hurt him fast. And that just totally backfired. Izzy, perfect counter punches, just knocks him out. Knocks him out twice, really. Knocked him out at the end of round one. The ref let it continue because it was like right at the bell. Comes out for round two, gets knocked out again. And then, so the only fight that really, the only time we really seen Israel Adesanya in danger was the interim title fight against Kelvin Gastelum. There was a moment in that fight where Kelvin probably could have finished it. It looked like the only thing holding Israel Adesanya up was the cage because he was hurt so badly. But since then, just flawless, really. I mean, the boring fight against Yo Romero, but like I said, it's just, you gotta pick your poison with this guy. It's like, do you just sit back and wait for him, or do you come forward and get knocked the fuck out? And it seemed like Paulo Costa couldn't decide what to do, and then it was just, I watched the combination so many times, it was just perfect the way Israel Adesanya finished Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa is like, he finally starts to engage, he is expecting the counter, turns away from the counter, and then his temple is exposed. And Israel Adesanya just perfectly lands a punch on his temple. He falls down. Israel gets on top of him. It's over shortly after that. He throws some elbows. It looked like maybe one of the punches landed on the back of the head, but it's only like illegal if it's like the, the guy's stationary and you're like really doing it over and over again. But Paulo Costa was rolling around trying to avoid damage. Took some hard shots and the ref calls it. As Israel Adesanya, a lot's been made up about the antics after the fight, but as Izzy's getting off of him, he like does like a dry humping motion to Paulo Costa, who's like semi knocked out. <laughs> so people are like, I don't know if like a a sexual gesture was like the best thing to do to a semi conscious opponent who <laughs> you just beat the shit out of. So there's a lot of talk about that. He's turning some people off with that talk, and his coach is trying to get a fight with Henry Cejudo, another one of his students, with a. Israel Adesanya's teammate Volkanovski so he says we're still coming for you we're coming for Volkanovski and then Izzy says I'm coming all over you and he does like a jacking off motion with his hands and viewer discussion sorry uh so yeah this he's he's fucking funny and then afterwards he's like dedicating the fight to anyone who's ever been bullied and he's like this is for anyone who's ever he's like he's like when I was younger and I didn't have like the will to like talk back to people or defend myself he's like I've been there and he's like Paulo Costa's a bully so he's like this fight's for anyone who has ever been bullied and it's like He's like shouting out people who have been bullied in their life and saying he did it for them. And then like, he's definitely the next superstar though. I mean, it's been reported that this has sold 700,000 pay-per-views, which is a lot nowadays with the ESPN plus structure. And yeah, I think if Connor's not going to fight or if him and Dana don't like each other anymore, this is, this is Dana's next favorite person. We were expecting some sort of updates to the Colby thing, but after we recorded that episode, that conversation just died down. Dana shut it down. He didn't want to engage in talks of racism in his organization, so... 
And Izzy didn't shine any more light on it. Izzy used his moment to shine light on him and what he did and just flawless victory, just total domination. It's He wants to fight Jared Cannonier next, who fights Robert Whitaker, his previous opponent who he took the belt from. He said if Cannonier gets through Whitaker, he wants him for the next title fight. So just an active guy. He fought twice this year. Some champions only fight once a year, like Khabib. We got a pay-per-view once a month. That's the big one this month. Khabib versus Justin Gagey is finally arriving upon us. But yeah, I mean, you know, the champion that fights two to three times a year, he's a superstar, he's great on the mic, he's flashy, compiling a highlight reel minus Yel Romero fight. Excited to see where he goes. You like him? Did he turn you off with some of the the stuff he did after the fight? I mean, I don't know, kind of my opinion. I think let the performance speak for itself. I think when you do stuff like that, then you're allowing that to sort of shape the story, if you know what I mean. Like, but no, man, that's, you know, hey. That's who you are, you know, you, you put on a great performance, you deserve to, uh, you know, celebrate it how you see fit. One thing we can talk about real quickly before making the prediction for the fight that's a few hours away and then wrapping this up, he was really adamant, pissed off at Dana White. He had several teammates fight that night and a lot of them lost. And one of his teammates lost to a guy who missed weight badly. I think he missed the weight by like five pounds and he weighed in 90 minutes before the cutoff. So like, it's like he didn't even try to cut more weight for that final 90 minutes that he could. He just gave up. He's like, I'm not going to cut any more weight. And weighed in 90 minutes before he could have at the deadline. And Izzy was talking to Dana White. He's like, you need to start finding people with 90% of their purse. He's like, they'll work that extra 90 minutes. If they got, if you take 90% of their money, he's like, they'll work that extra 90 minutes. So he's very adamant. He's trying to be the voice towards more punishment or heavy penalty towards missing weight. It's definitely a form of cheating in MMA. And his opponent took some serious damage from a guy who didn't want to go the extra mile to cut a few more pounds. I know it's got to be hard. I've never done it. It's got to be brutal, but it's it's what you signed up for. It's you signed the contract to fight at this weight. Don't cheat. Show up on weight or don't or tell them ahead of time like, hey, I'm not gonna make weight. Can we do catch weight? Can we add five pounds to the limit or something? Don't make your opponent cut all the way down to whatever it was, 145, 155, and then you come in at 160 with 90 minutes left to cut weight. So I think Izzy's a superstar. He's I think he's definitely going to piss some people off. He's not going to be for everybody, but Con- neither was Connor. So you either tune in to watch an amazing performance for somebody you're a fan of, or you tune in and hope this flashy shit talker gets knocked out. I think people will tune in for either. Excited to see where he goes. Real quick, the main event tonight is Holly Holm versus Arena Aldana. Arena Eldana is the Mexican fighter. I'm definitely rude. I like both these girls, but I'm going for the Mexican tonight. I like Arena Eldana. I've had a pleasure of fighting, seeing her fight for Invicta. There was a cool moment way back in the day where women's MMA was just starting to explode on the scene. Ronda Rousey was becoming a star. So there was a weekend in LA. Uh, me and my wife, Jenna, went and saw Invicta on Friday night. And that was headlined by Cyborg versus Charmaine Tweet. And that night in Invicta, we saw Arena Aldana choke out her opponent. And then the next night, we seen Ronda Rousey submit Kat Zingano. So it was like a huge women's weekend in MMA. We saw all that live, and Arena was a part of it. Holly Holmes had a tough run. I mean, after that Ronda Rousey win, she's just been up and mostly down, a little bit up here and there. She can't put it together, really. Lots of title fight losses in between since then as well. If she shows up and puts it all together, she definitely can win. But my pick, we'll recap it next week. Irina Aldana, probably a decision over Holly Holm. So we're going to get out of here, watch some college football. As I said, a few hours away from the fights, we'll enjoy those. And we'll be back next week to talk about all the crazy shit that's going on in the world. Hopefully, no more NFL postponements. I believe the Heat and Lakers will be concluded by the time we record next, so we'll talk about that. Like I said, I want to talk a lot about 
LeBron and Anthony Davis. There was more I wanted to get to. But yeah, thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. We covered a lot, I think, even though we still, there's still plenty more to talk about. Yeah, as JC said, uh, we're about to get on out of here. We mentioned it at the top of the show, but you know, sometimes with scheduling conflicts and stuff, life gets in the way. We are sticking with this podcast. We are in this for the long haul. We're definitely not going anywhere. As I said, uh, we can be found on Twitter at SportsTJJC. I try to post show updates on there uh, if I know we're going to be recording or if I know how uh, the editing process is going. So if you want to see uh, progress on the show before the show comes out, check out our Twitter because that is something that I uh, make an effort to do. We appreciate everybody for listening. We appreciate you guys for sticking with us. We will see you guys in the next one. Take care, everybody. Thanks again.